welcome to News to the Pharaoh, a Prince podcast from a female perspective. I am your host, Darling Nisi. As we talked about before, I very much want to speak and get the perspectives of people in the purple world who are not often heard from. I know from listening to bootlegs of concerts that predated some of us younger folks being alive a bit, I was always interested to hear the experiences of those who attended those concerts, especially those who were around in the early 80s or who lived in the Twin Cities as Prince was coming up. Today's episode will be the first in the Auntie series, one where I talk to women who have been, who've had unique experiences in the fandom or have even worked with Prince or just were around him to get that personal perspective we're all hungry to hear about. Helping out today is Stephanie from our Tumblr crew, someone who's especially vested in hearing about the pre-Purple Rain era. Ooh. Hi, guys. And our special guests, we have a roundtable of aunties who were local to the Twin Cities scene as Prince was coming up. We have Carmen, Trudy, and Nancy. Hello, ladies, and welcome. Hi. Thank you. <laughs> Hi. So the first question we always ask here is how you came to discover Prince. So let's start with you, Carmen. Um, well, I'm not really too sure. I, I think that I probably heard Prince on the dance floor when I was in basic training in Fort Knox, Kentucky. Um, one way or another, I had a Prince record when I moved to Minneapolis in 1980. And then, um, you know, I really focused in uh, when I met a woman in my dorm who walked by, saw my Prince record, and introduced herself because she'd gone to high school with Prince. Mm-hmm. Um, and she she said I was the first person from out of town who knew about Prince, who she'd met. Um, and so that's really when I started to really invest uh, in being a Prince fan because suddenly I had this neighbor in the dorm who, um, you know, who'd gone to high school with him and whose older brother had played basketball with Dwayne. So we were just off and running after that. I I don't really remember the first time I heard Prince. Wow. Okay. How about you, Trudy? Um, In 1978, I was staying with my father in Colorado, and I heard the song Soft and Wet. And I just loved it. And they said on the radio, and this is Prince from Minneapolis. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm from Minneapolis. So when I came back to Minneapolis, I was at this little tiny, like, 7-Eleven type grocery store called The Loon on Lindale Avenue. And I'm standing at the counter, and I look to the guy next to me, and he's wearing thigh-high boots. And he is dressed like no one I've ever seen before. And it clicked in my head. I'm like, oh, my God, that's Prince. And so, of course, I said to him, hey, are you Prince? (laughs) And um, he was super nice and talked to me. And, you know, I just told him that I really liked his stuff, you know, and I listened to it a lot. And then it wasn't until I worked at First Avenue till I, you know, talked to him more and, and, you know, stuff like that. Well, okay, okay. How about you, Nance? I have kind of a funny story because I did not know who Prince was at all when I got hired at First Avenue as a bouncer. And um, I was in sort of new wave bands myself. We were all in Elvis Costello and the Pretenders and all that stuff. And um, at First Avenue, when there's like trouble at the front door, there's a little light that goes on upstairs that tells the bouncers, there's trouble at the front door. You should probably head down there. And that light went on, and I go torquing down the sort of curved staircase to get to the front door, and this guy was coming up the wrong side of the stairs, and I just ran into him, and he looks up and goes, 
God, you're fucking tall. <laughs> I am six feet tall. <laughs> and I looked down at him like, well, you're fucking short. And I just kept going down the stairs. And I get to the bottom, and I think Mike was there, one of the other bouncers. A couple of bouncer friends, they're like, you just totally ran over Prince. And I'm like, really? That was Prince? When I heard his name, but I didn't know who he was. They're like, wow, he's really little. Um, that was my introduction. Wow. And then, That's amazing. <laughs> then to tag on that, when we were filming Purple Rain and we were extras in the movie, whenever he would see me, he would grab onto the person or thing closest to him and, like, act like I was going to run him over. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's... Okay, so we're going to drill into each of you guys' stories a little bit more, but first, I kind of want to ask, you guys mentioned that the people who were native to Minneapolis found it strange that people who were outside of Minneapolis, that they knew about Prince. So what was kind of the talk about Prince locally? Well, from this is Nance. I, my the word on the street from my point of view was he just doesn't want to be bugged, but he's like a super prodigy man. Like he is such a great musician. Like my musician friends were totally, even though they weren't into his music, were like knew that he was like some kind of genius musician and respected him because of that. But doesn't want, don't don't like talk to him when he comes in the club. Mm-hmm. And I was I was told when I was hired that, well, not I, by the uh, my the other employees that Prince comes in and he's always got a bodyguard and you know just don't bug him and a lot of times he'll come and he'll play and you know just that um, he was very private. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember just trying to avoid him as much as possible. Uh, um, and I also remember in the larger community, you know, uh, beyond kind of the downtown crowd and, and, you know, musicians, um, feeling like I kind of had to defend Prince at that time, he wasn't universally regarded as a genius. Some people just thought he was like weird, Mm -hmm. um, and and a freak and possibly gay, which doesn't seem like a very big deal today. But you know, around 1981, that that was still a problem uh, for a lot of Midwesterners um, to give the impression of being gay. So when did you guys were you guys working at First Avenue when it was still Sam's, or was it First Avenue then? For me, I got it had just turned. Yeah, eight First Avenue. Mhm. So I think it became First Avenue New Year's Eve of '81. Yep, possibly. I think we all worked at uh, the same time. Yeah, right we did. around the same time. We all got hired. I mean, I remember I, we all worked together. I think we all got hired around '82. I think Nance, you worked there longer than than I did. Dan was hired. I think hired sure. I know I worked but there for yeah, three or four years, but I can't off. remember. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Trudy, you were there. You worked on the film. Oh yeah, you were there at the time. And then, and then, didn't you go out and work for Prince out at the warehouse after the film? Yep, at Flying Cloud, I followed um, and went and worked out there. And I remember, I think I got fifty dollars a day, and I thought that was so amazing. <laughs> and I got to see them film the love scenes, 
and I even saved my call sheets from those days of, you know, telling everybody what time to be there and what scene wow. they were doing. Yeah. And I, I have one that says, Prince makes love to Apollonia. It's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I should frame it. Wow. So you went to work at the warehouse. What kind of work did you do there? Um, well, on the film, a lot of people wanted to be extras, and I definitely did not. So I got to be on the crew, and I was called craft service. And craft service means slave. So I had to be there the first thing in the morning, make coffee. We put on parties, and Morgan Fairchild was there because her boyfriend was a cameraman. And we would put on these parties for Prince, and he'd show up for 15 minutes and then leave. But um, when I got there in the mornings, he it would just be me and him, and he'd be playing the piano. It was cool. But in, at Flying Cloud, I did a lot of sitting around, you know, waiting for somebody to want a sandwich or coffee or anything. Okay. So let's back it up some, because you guys said that you started working in 82 or so. So, um, and I know we had the story about uh, running over him going down the stairs, <laughs> but um, what are some of your other first encounters with Prince? Just showing up and playing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was usually the way I would know he was around. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, he's going to play. I was working Sometimes the main bar. The yep, I was working the main bar. And somebody said, Prince is playing in the entry. So I don't know why and how I kept my job, but I went in the entry. They locked the doors. And it was the best show. I don't know, 20, 25 people. It was just amazing. Mm-hmm. And then I went back to work. <laughs> but often he would just stroll in just to, just to be seen and hang out and usually brought some people with him. And, and, and Sheila, he was with him a lot in those days. And, and that's who... Carmen and I thought was the coolest person on the planet. <laughs> so yeah. We would like send her a bottle of champagne from, from Nancy Carmen. Actually, Jane was my yeah, name that I went right. by. <laughs> from Jane and Carmen. And the priest would be like, what is, why is she getting the champagne? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I really liked Vanity too. And I remember, uh, I mean, First Avenue, of, of course, you know, he was in and out of there. Um, but I remember also seeing Prince and Vanity at a gas station near my house in, in Uptown by the old uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken um, <laughs> on Hennepin. And um, Prince used to also show up at other people's shows around town. So I remember just, I, I think one of my favorite things, especially being not at work, you know, not being at First Avenue, but to see him at like Duffy's or Goofy's or someplace like that, just watching the same show that I was watching. Um, right. I, I really, I really enjoyed that. It was more relaxing than seeing him at work. Sometimes I would work on really slow nights, and I think he was scouting for the movie, so he would come and sit yeah. at the bar and be the only customer and I'd be there and I'm like do I talk to him do I not talk to him so I would kind of chat but also leave him alone and I didn't know why he was there and he would be there for like an hour and then after we heard that there was going to be the movie I thought oh he's probably figuring that out yeah yeah was he sitting at the downstairs bar yeah um and I was you know bar one two and three I was the only one working and he would sit at the back in the dark kind of by a post yeah. and um, 
you know, I I didn't want to bug him, but I didn't want to ignore him. Right. But I did have a thing like Nance when we were working on the movie. I was running because he wanted some peanuts for the scene and smacked right into him face to face. And that's how I know he's the exact size that I am, five one and a half. Yep. Yep. We looked straight eye to eye and I went, oops. <laughs> but it seemed like he was like part of the crew at First Avenue because he was there so often. It was like, yeah, he's here. Yeah. Yeah, he's usually here, mm-hmm. Friday or Saturday. Yeah. yeah, he was just around a lot, and he would dance, too. He would go out on the dance floor and dance. Yeah. And would, people would leave him alone and stuff like that, too? Yeah, yeah, surprisingly, yes. I think everybody knew how amazing and what a genius he was and knew to just kind of let him be. And even after people ran, was- when... When we had to close the front doors at 10 because it was too crowded for the fire code. I mean, I can mm-hmm. remember working the yeah. front door with Margaret and like, nope, this is it. No one else crosses this line. It's too crowded. Even then, yeah. if he was in there, people left him alone, which I thought was pretty cool. And I'm sure he felt comfortable going in there even when it was super crowded. That's so interesting yeah. just because like in the in the age we live in, people feel as though celebrities are are their own, they make them so personal. So the fact that they kind of let him be and do his thing and exist in his own element, I think that is so interesting, especially after, you know, the craze of Purple Rain, you would think everyone would want to rush him and, you know, just be in his space, but what an interesting time. (laughs) He had a bodyguard. Right. His bodyguard, Gilbert, was humongous. And so I think mm-hmm. that helped, too, because he would walk around <laughs> with these big guys. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. But he would also, I think if somebody, like, got anywhere close to talking to him, he would just give it, give you this look, like, <laughs> don't even, or, you know, like, look through you like you're, you're not even really here. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he was intimidating, or he could be intimidating. Yeah, yeah. Oh, very. When he would come and get a drink when I was bartending, I would almost shake. But then I tried to, like, give him a hard time because, you know, it was fun. And he never had money, so his bodyguards would have money. And then I would hold my hand out and go, where's my tip? (laughs) And I remember Vanity ordered, uh, like, a blended ice cream drink. And, like, First Avenue was the McDonald's of the bar world. And I was like, how do I make her that? So I improvised, um, like, a pink squirrel, I think it was. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was weird. And eventually there I don't remember exactly when this happened, but eventually there was a VIP area that he could get to. And it was a real nice Yeah, after to watch Purple shows. Rain. Wasn't that yeah. upstairs if you're at the bar on the left side to the left? Yeah. Yeah, because he would walk in up the yeah. stairs and then go back that way. Mhm. Yeah. And it was and it was kind of an employee hangout too. And then we just knew pretty much to clear out if Prince came in. Right. Um yeah. but I remember had a I bunch of dance. With you them. would watch shows from up there. Too. Yeah. yeah. That's where we would have the champagne delivered to Sheila. <laughs> mhm. Mm-hmm. One time somebody bought Prince a bottle of champagne and he gave it to me. Yeah, because he wouldn't drink it. No, but we did kind of drink it on the job. 
<laughs> Did anyone have like conversations with him besides when you know you were just working? Well, when Carmen and I remember when we stayed overnight at the club for the movie as like security. That was like that our, was our main job. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so and I, at the time I was in this band that was sort of playing around in little clubs in town, and he knew. I don't remember how he knew if we, if I actually talked to him at one point or Sean did, my bandmate. But he said, and, and the band stuff was set up on stage, and he's like, "Yeah, feel free to use it," you know, because he knew I was going to be there overnight. <laughs> <laughs> I spoke to him, but I wouldn't say deep conversations. You know, yeah. he would no, ask the question, deep, can I you get me there? What's that? I don't think he would ever have a deep conversation in a public place. With anybody, no. You know. you know, and we teased him a lot. And I remember, you know, after the movie, everybody was kind of glad it was over. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it was just the beginning yeah. of the craze. Oh, yes. Craziness right. in the club. And remember yeah. how if he was going to play, they would tell like one person and then it would get around mm-hmm. town and they'd call us and say, you got to get in Princess playing tonight. It would be like the yeah. last second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's weird how it could get around town like that because it was just telephone then. Yeah, before cell phones. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, the, there was never any danger that people wouldn't be there. No, yeah. and it was so great to work during those shows because, you know, you're getting people drinks, but during the show, you got to sit and watch because people don't get that many drinks while he's playing. So I felt right. super lucky hearing all these amazing shows. So were you guys at, was it the 1983 birthday show? Yeah. The, yeah. That wasn't the dance thing, was it? Or the, oh, oh, you mean? No, no. Yes, the dancing. I'm sorry. Yeah, there's an August 3rd yeah. show. Stephanie, this yeah. is your air. Yeah, that was 84, right? Or No, no, the 83, um, the, the makings of rain, I think is what they call it, um, the pre-Purple Rain show. Oh, yeah. That was right before we found out that I think that was August and we found out in September that the club was going to close and be the film set. Right. right before. But it was yeah. the, the uh, like benefit for the Minnesota dance something. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't yeah, working, yes. but I was there. It was the most unbelievable show I've ever seen. Yeah. How is, I just, we always hear about the reactions of hearing yeah. Purple Rain for the first time and things like that, but how, how was the vibe of that? I didn't, I wasn't sure. Or, uh, I, where were you? Do you know where you were standing that night? Yeah, I always, well, I, I was kind of behind the sound thing on the right, but I usually would stand on that ramp that went down to the yeah, dance yeah. floor and sit on that little wall uh-huh. thing because I'm short. And so that yeah. I always stake that out. Still do. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I felt like the I felt like the crowd was in awe. I've mm-hmm. seen online where people have written that the crowd was, you know, nonplussed or something. But you have to remember one thing is it was very hot and humid in there that night. Yeah, uh, I remember. Uh 
Yeah, I don't. It wasn't really an environment where people were super like dancing or. It was hot, and um, and you know a lot of those songs were brand new that people wouldn't have heard before. So, so of course people weren't singing along and, you know, Purple Rain wasn't an anthem. We were just taking it in these new songs. (laughs) I loved Let's Go Crazy from like the very first second. Yeah. 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 But then, you know, when they were making the movie, we heard these songs over and over (laughs) and over, Mm -hmm. but I, I still, that's the song that, that gets me. Mm. Yeah. I like, I would so die good. for you, and I always do the hand movements. My kids think <laughs> I'm such a dork. <laughs> I can't do them right. Oh, I'm trying to think of, Stephanie helped me out with this era of shows that would have been at First Avenue. Um, I was actually going to ask about um, the one from 1982 that he did with uh, Morris Day in the Time, if anyone remembered that show. Or were you guys there that early, or was it later? Oh, on? yeah. Oh. Yeah, Please. that was right after he played the. It, it was like a the night the next night or yes maybe two and nights after he played Met. Yes, yes, that's the uh-huh. one. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. God, I love that. Yeah, that was, Morris Day and the time were just so great, and Jesse so kissed me on the cheek. Jesse was so cute, and he kissed me on my cheek, and I thought, I'm never bathing again. (laughs) Kanisa and I met him, um, that was last year, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he, I could understand how charming he would be. He was so sweet and so nice, Um, but yeah, any, I want to ask about just, first of all, the crowd reaction. because there's no videotape, so you can't, not not that I've seen at least. Um, so you can't really gauge like the, the audience reaction too much, but really the dynamic between Prince and Morris on stage um, at that particular show, if anybody has anything to share. Well, I think the, the rivalry was in the movie, but not in real life. It didn't seem like it. They seemed right. to get along really well, and you know the guys in the time were way more accessible and and fun, and they just had a good time. Prince's band seemed a little more serious, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But I I didn't feel a rivalry at all until they kind of made it in the movie. Nice, yeah. Because I was listening to a um, listening to a. Um, a song from from that show. I think it. I feel like they were doing the stick, and just kind of the playfulness back and forth between them um, is something that I wish we got more of. Um, mm-hmm. It just seemed. It just seemed like it was so, so much fun. Just the you know a bunch of friends on stage ribbing each other about mm-hmm. whose band was better, uh, more so than like you said, you know the, the rivalry that made it onto the Purple Rain screen, but. That particular, um, that first show after the Met, it just, it seemed like because it was such a small, intimate venue with just friends, it seemed like they had so much fun and that the crowd was just watching a bunch of goofballs on stage. Yeah. Yeah. It was a much more dancey, wild mm-hmm. kind of a night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. 
And I think also that sense that, like, uh, you know, I'd just seen him out at the Met, and that was a real eye-opener. I mean, I don't think that was a sold-out show, but there were lots and lots of people out there. And um, and it was the first time that I'd seen him from a ways back, right? So Ooh. I had to, I think we were, like, halfway back on the floor or something, and we were like, yeah, this is never happening again. We're not going to be <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, but, but when you see a show from that vantage point, you also really cap, you really see how the crowd is reacting. And that, that controversy tour was just so exciting. And then to go from that, seeing him in that big venue and then to be back right in front of the stage again, where, you know, everybody's walking around the club and just mm-hmm. right there, it, it really did feel special and celebratory. Like, like he's doing it. He's playing the Met. Yeah. Right. yeah. But I think it's you're hard. right, Carmen. I think but you were right about proprietary feeling towards him at that point too. Like he's art. Yes. You know, he belongs yes. to First Avenue. Yeah. Because yeah. at first people yeah. like you said thought he was really strange and by that time Minneapolis yeah. loved him. Loved him. Yep. And so, yeah. you know, the fans were just adoring and we all knew yeah. the songs. In in, in yeah. eighty two, you know, and people would sing along. You know, yeah. I got in trouble singing some lyrics while I was bartending. <laughs> <laughs> well, and um, and it was a fun night in the sense that there were other people around too. Like Sue Ann, uh, Sue Ann had opened up at the Met for that show. Uh, uh, for controversy tour, and then Sue Ann sang. Also, I can't remember the configuration, but somehow with time, the time and print uh, that that night at First Avenue, right after two, um, it was. I mean, I remember feeling almost personally vindicated. Like, see, he is great. <laughs> everybody's everybody gonna believe eventually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what about, I guess, the 1999 era shows? I, I suppose that you guys got to see some of those. What was that like? Um, I found an entry uh, in a diary from that era describing um, the song 1999 coming on at First Avenue and just how the First Avenue, just all of a sudden the energy, just people just poured down those stairs um, yeah, onto to the, the dance song. Yep. So exciting. Yeah. Um, there was just an energy that was so thrilling, you know, when you when he would perform and mm-hmm. he would jump all over and you know, there were a lot of antics like in the movie the guitar that shot I know they put like um dishwasher dish soap in it. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember watching them do that and thinking, that's so cool. I mean, it was just, there wasn't anything like it. And I went to shows every single night yeah. when I worked there. Yeah. I was there every night. I think we all were, weren't we? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it definitely like, improved the speed down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The dress of, of women in the club went way up. <laughs> <laughs> the style ratcheted way, way up. <laughs> <laughs> that is interesting because they did talk about how um, there's what's depicted in the movie as far as First Avenue and the types of people there and what they wore and then what actually was there in real life. Can you talk a little bit about that? It was way <laughs> grungier. It's a bunch of, yeah, it's a lot of It punk, was grungy. Uh, 
and college white yeah, college was, kids. <laughs> Midwest kids. You yeah. know what you'd expect, especially in the summer, like that eight three eighty three show. I mean, I think I was wearing like a cotton t shirt and cotton shorts and little cotton white flat tennis shoes, just barely you know I don't know. But we just wore practical clothes. It wasn't such yeah. a style thing until until the until after Purple Rain. I was just saying, after the movie, women started wearing yeah. these lacy, frilly things. Oh, and, yeah, um, bustiers and... Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. But before, we were all yeah. just, like, kids trying to be comfortable. And, um, <laughs> you know, it was it was very Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. very Minnesota. Very Minnesota. And then all of a sudden, men are showing up in, like, swashbuckling shirts with lace at the sleeves <laughs> and... It was awesome. And like the the pompadour hairdos and oh gosh, yeah. And And you know, in the movie, in the movie, they had this little table where they could sit intimately, and it was nice. And first Ave wasn't that nice inside. No, not at all. Actually, with the lights on, it's frightening. (laughs) It looks pretty bad. It looks pretty bad in there. Um, also, the time wore these um, skinny ties with their suits and their Stacy Adams yes. shoes, and their ties were those, they were like metallic. I just thought yeah. they were the coolest thing in the world. And then, you know, I was, you know, a South Dakota girl. I didn't know my way around the city very well. And, you know, I had expressed how much I wanted one of those ties. And as a doorman, we had to wear ties. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know I didn't know where the time was shopping, but of course my girlfriend who grew up and went to Central High School, she did. So I remember getting a purple sparkly tie, just like Morris Day wore uh, for my birthday. <laughs> I kind of remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wore that a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> About 1999 uh, tour was great, and uh, after. After we had halfway back on the floor seats for the controversy tour, um, my friend and I swore that would never happen again. So when seats were going on, or when tickets were going on sale for a 1999 tour, um, we got in line. I think we went out there about 10 p.m. because you go out to the box office then and buy tickets in person, you know. So if you could be first in line, you'd be you buy first row tickets, right? So we got up there about 10 p.m. and nobody else really arrived until about two in the morning. And then when we could see another car was pulling, it's just nobody's out there. We're just in a parking lot, you know, with a basically like some white wine in a in a mason jar or something. <laughs> and um, when the other car pulled up, we got out all our gear. So we had the long kind of, um, you know, lawn chairs uh, that you would like stretch out on you know, by a pool. We had those and sleeping bags, pillows. <laughs> it was like, it was like 10 degrees out. Um, you know, hats and moon boots. And we were like ready to sleep in line, uh, if necessary. Um, which is kind of what we ended up doing. Uh, we were first in line and my friend and I, and then we had another friend who, uh, shortly after this became a Minneapolis cop. It was Larry. And, um, he brought us chicken sandwiches from uh, 
some kind of fast food at like three in the morning. And then we bought tickets for him and his girlfriend too. I think you could buy four tickets each. And I'm sure that we bought our limit. And then we were first in line uh, when the when the box office opened at 10 a.m. or whatever. And and we, we bought up a chunk of the front row. So we did see that show up front at the Met. So talk <laughs> about that. Front row yeah, experience. I was just going <laughs> to ask about that, please, because that is one of my favorite shows from 1999, the homecoming show at the Met. So tell me all about it. <laughs> well, I mean, it was, to me, that was kind of the pinnacle by the time I loved Purple Rain and you know it was those were very exciting shows you, you it, when the when the Purple Rain thing happened you felt like that was the center of the cultural universe you know mm-hmm. of the planet mm-hmm. uh, because everybody <clears throat> got interested in Purple Rain but to me that 1999 tour was just a you know I don't know Vanity Six and the time and Prince that was Minneapolis then it was. That was, and you know, yeah, that was the stuff before Purple Rain. It was kind of like ours, you know. And then yeah. after Purple Rain, he was the world's. Uh, but yeah. he was like, I, and those shows I treasure a lot. Yeah, me, me too. It's a paradox because you know, I remember feeling like I wanted everybody to hear him. I we really believe that if the world could hear Prince he would be a star. But at the same time, when he became a star, he wasn't really ours anymore, and it's that weird fan um, yep. paradox. But yeah. to me, that was kind of dirty mind to um, 1999. That was, a, that was a very beautiful, exciting, just exciting period. And also, 1999, that's when he... I think he was actually, I know Michael Jackson gets credit for integrating MTV, but I think Prince was actually the second African-American on MTV after musical youth. Um, and then, of mm-hmm. course, when, when mm-hmm. Michael came along, you know, that's where the CBS got involved and, and, you know, it really happened. But when Prince got on, and I got a TV specifically so I could get MTV. Wow, wow that's dedication. <laughs> that, but, it was very exciting to, because back then, you know, you would wait around and they would tell you when a video was premiering and you had to be watching television right then. Um, and of course, we would do that. <laughs> yeah, and what was that feeling, just because, going back to what you guys were saying earlier about um, just the the proprietary, you know, feeling of um, watching this person locally, um, watching their star rise, what did you feel when you saw this person, you know, airing um, automatic or what have you on the TV? What was that like? It was, a, like well, Carmen said, it was I, a weird feeling because it was almost like, oh, no, he's gone from us, you know? Uh, and at the same time, you're watching people who were you were just standing next to on the stairs the night before. Right, right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It was strange to see kind of your, you know, people that we would just normally see around town and at work, they're, now they're on MTV. Yeah. Yeah, it was like our it world. Was, it was strange. Yeah, it was like our world was getting, and we considered it our world, even though we didn't create the music or, you know what I mean? But that, um, 
that whole scene and kind of the centrality of it really wasn't just First Avenue. You know, we worked there and that's a really easy lens for us. But just the whole just the whole thing, like our town, it was our town. The, well, Minneapolis uh, is a big city, but a small town. And, you know, you, the the sound people and the DJs and, yeah. and oh, we're all, you know, around town. And if you've lived here well, a while, you, you kind of know everybody because you're all interested in the same thing. So you see each other at restaurants and, you know, it it yeah. was just a little time capsule in in the in the city that was amazing jam and terry lewis hung out a lot at uh filio's uptown um yes and i had a friend who worked up there and you would you go to happy hour at filio's which i think a lot of us probably got our meals that way because there were really good happy hours back then Uh food you know real food um and filio's had a really great good food, uh, happy hour. And Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis would go there all the time. My friends and I went all the time. I'm sure you ladies did too. Great Same calamari. People who were around. Okay, yes, yes. The calamari. <laughs> that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you just saw people all over town. You know, yeah. and we didn't just go to First Ave. We went to Duffy's and we went to, like you said, Goofy's. And um, Mr. Tib, the Longhorn. Yeah, the Longhorn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. It was just a. It did sort of feel small town. The big blizzard, and and they were wondering whether they should close the club. And I think it was a reggae band that was scheduled to play, and I can't remember who. But like, I cross country skied to to bartend. <laughs> And, yeah. and it was a sold-out show, and everybody showed up. It's like, you don't not show up at First Avenue. There's, if it's open, people show up, you know. Yeah. I remember cross-country skiing down to see a show when I lived in the dorms. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, all the public transportation was closed because, you know, everything was yep. closed. The roads were closed because of the snow. And Minnesotans will still get out there. Oh, yeah. Ski to where they need to go. <laughs> <laughs> You know what was weird at that time? You know, I was into kind of punk rock and, you know, bands, Minneapolis bands like The Suburbs and The Replacements, but I also adored Prince. So there was a whole lot of music going on here. Yeah. And kind of everybody yeah. went to all the shows, including Prince. Yes. And and uh, Nance and I were talking about this uh, maybe a few weeks or months ago that it felt like utopia kind of um yeah we it did it felt, it like, felt like everybody was such good friends with each other and really like family yeah and that's why you skied down to yeah. work because you just don't not show up for your family <laughs> no and and right. work was fun i mean i had to it was it was the best time of my life, I have to say, although I'm happy now, but it was just such a magical time. And I think I, I even knew it at the time, like, this is special. Yeah, totally. Oh, that yeah. I get to stand I like... feet away from Prince as he's playing, you know, but it's yeah. just, just, it was. And, and that was just the pinnacle of it. We were also seeing The Cure and X and the Bluebells oh, yeah. in Scotland and, and Ray <laughs> Charles played there and Tina Turner and P-Funk. I mean, it just went on and on and on. The amazing and country music. music. 
Yeah, I was thinking this morning, I think one of the sketchiest nights we ever had there was when David Allen Coe played. And I oh, I remember. Security meeting. Yeah, because they would have knives and chains and stuff, and we had this big meeting. Do we try to make them check all their minor weapons, or do we just let the night unfold and let their own leaders, you know, because we were expecting bikers and stuff to come. Just madness, just one thing after another. And Prince yep. was always kind of in the background, but there was so much going on there. And and I also remember having the feeling like, well, at least racism is over here. It it, it yeah. just had this feeling of of camaraderie and and lack of weirdness, at least within kind of the family of First Avenue. Um, yeah. Also, I, I have realized through this Me Too thing that's happening, I believe First Avenue is the only job I've ever had where I was never sexually harassed. Not once. Yeah. Me too. Definitely. I would yeah. say that. Not even by a customer? Because, yeah. I, I, you know, I had customers be kind of disgusting, but... Oh, yeah, yeah. I was customers, who knows? All with Some an Annie Lennox bleached haircut. Nobody messed with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I feel also maybe part of it is, too, Nance and I work security a lot, and I think there is a certain, uh, certain barrier that goes up with that. Yeah. yeah. But I'm thinking of it. Employees. Definitely no oh. other employee ever, ever sexually harassed me. Never. Never. It was, and no, men never. were equal to women. Anybody there to have yeah. my back all the time. And I Absolutely. felt respected as a bartender, as respected as the men. Um, yeah. It was just, and it didn't matter, black, white, it, it, you know, because one night you'd be working and it was all country music fans and the next night it'd be punk rockers yeah. and, you know, yeah. it, it just was everything. And, and Prince just, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, Prince just fit in. It was, you know, back then it was really, um, it just seemed so normal that, mm-hmm. All of us got along so well. There, I don't remember a whole lot of fights. I remember one guy whipped his clothes off on the dance floor, and none of the um, none of the people, the security people, wanted to touch him. <laughs> well, okay. So on that note, um, <laughs> so how long did you guys end up working at First Avenue? Yeah, I worked there a long time, uh, like eight, nine years, something like that. Wow, Nance, that's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I had other jobs uh, at the same time. I quit, I think, in 85. I think I worked there from 81 to 85. So there's a show mm-hmm. that's known as, for those of you on Valium, and I believe that was at First <laughs> Avenue. So... Can anyone talk about being there for that show? I can't remember, but I do know that after working at the club, I did get called when he was going to play or, you know, still got some tickets. So mm-hmm. I may have, but I don't remember that one exactly. Okay, so he was trying out some some songs from Sign of the Times, I believe, right, <laughs> Seth? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sign of the Times? Yeah. Yeah, there's a little yeah. so good. <laughs> You were going to say it too, could the yellow polka dot suit, anybody ringing any bells? Yellow polka dot what? Yellow polka dot suit. Oh, I remember that suit. 
<laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Any, yeah. any memories uh-huh. about that show would be useful for us to hear. Yes. I don't have very many specific memories. I feel like the first shows that I saw in the early 80s stand out with more detail to me. And it, and after a while, it blurs together a little bit more. Um, yeah. I specifically remember hearing um, maybe my favorite version of You Need Another Lover Like You Need a Hole in the Head. Yeah. Oh. You know, this is I mean, going to sound terrible, but huh. I saw him so many times that, like like you said, yeah. the early ones stand out more because it got more, yeah. I don't know, I didn't get used to it, but, you know, we lucked out. We got to see him a ton. Yeah. Plus the shows that that I know I, I know I've talked to Nance about seeing him a couple times overnight during the filming. Um, just a lot of things happened, a lot of different configurations, and I, I, I couldn't speak to it for sure. But I remember that another lover song. I think that was eighty six uh, show that I saw him at First Avenue eighty six or eighty seven. Yeah, mm-hmm. but, yeah, he did a parade re- yeah. rehearsal show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He would test out stuff at first half before he would do it anywhere yeah. else. I specifically remember the night he brought in When Doves Cry uh, for the first time and uh, put it on, you know, went into the DJ booth and they put it on. I was standing up kind of, uh, I think I was working the floor and it was kind of near the men's bathroom upstairs when I noticed that Prince was in the booth with something that looked like music he was going to put on. And so I stood there for a minute to watch and see what the crowd reaction would be for that. Because, of course, that song had never been played on the radio or anything. That was, you know, when it was being made. I remember just random specific things that I remember. But I don't remember too much about that that show in 87 specifically. I said it all becomes a blazy her after a few years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. And, I mean, this is how many years ago? 30? A lot of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But I have to say, when he died, it all flooded back. And it just, I I don't know. You know, the whole world mourned, but I think Minneapolis more than anybody. Yeah. It's weird to think of how down home First Avenue, 7th Street entry really was. Like, I think it was Trudy that was saying, you know, how it was kind of a mess inside. It just was a, it was the whole First Avenue thing that, you know, God bless Steve McClellan. Um, Mm. It was kind of smoke and mirrors. It wasn't really that nice inside. It was. But it looked good with a disco ball. (laughs) You got some, get a disco ball and turn the lights down and have really great music in there of all kinds. I mean, that really, the music was the magic. I think Steve yep. McClellan and then um, John Clicka, who was our our personnel manager, he was just the most humane I uh, manager. Him. I loved him yeah, so much. And he really, this was a top priority in the club between Steve, you know, with his music and, and John Clicka, the way that he managed things. And Dan Lassard. 
And Dan Lassard, too. It was essential that people were able to keep their dignity, and even people who were getting kicked out of the club were treated respectfully. It was the people that made that place, the people in the music, and all the employees got along, and um, it it just, there was... You know, even though we would get frustrated with stuff, like they would weigh the bottles to make sure we didn't pour too much, I still loved them. Yeah. And I still loved them, and, you know, and we all hung out together. Yeah. Yeah. Barbecues, parties. Yeah. Fourth of July, Lake Minnesota. <laughs> oh, Quadna. Yeah. Oh, I, I got in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was young. Thank you guys so much for sharing your memories with us. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> it, it's so amazing to hear what the real stories were without the smoke and mirrors for people who were there. Yeah. Thank Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Fun. It was a beautiful era of life. Yeah. Yep. I miss you, Carmen and Nance. <laughs> oh, this has been really fun, you guys. Ladies, too. Okay, right. bye guys. Okay, thank you so bye much, bye. everyone. Right, bye. Thank you. Bye bye. So that was amazing. Do you have any final thoughts about that, Stephanie? Um, the only thing I have is just gratitude for them sharing that stuff with us and a little bit of jealousy <laughs> because <laughs> I wish I was there. But no, that was it was it was nice just like I said, hearing them recollect all of that and them being willing to Give a little a glimpse inside the, the early years for us. Yeah, I can't even imagine, like, because they all worked at First Avenue. And to just, like they said, they'd seen them so many times it all blurred together. And it's so strange for us to consider that because we were like, I remember on For the Funk, number 238. <laughs> and <laughs> and like, 10 minutes and 17 seconds <laughs> into the Detroit show. <laughs> What, is it, what what were you doing at that exact point? But you know, um, yeah. how lucky and how interesting to see him grow as an artist through all of those eras too, firsthand. Yeah, that's amazing. It really is. That was really nice and fun, and I thank them once again. That was great. Absolutely. So thank you guys for enjoying our first aunties episode. And Steph, where can you they find you online? Um, online, I am Stephanie Janae, all one word, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E-J-U-H-N-A-Y. Um, you can find me on Tumblr. Um, that is where you will get the majority of my Prince content um, or on Twitter as well. And I am Darlene Nisi, affiliate of the Prince podcast, of which we are a subset. And you can find me on Twitter at Darling Nisi as well as Tumblr at Darling Nisi. So we'll see you guys next time. Bye. So that is y'all for you to see what's beyond you and me. Uh, depends, my friends, primarily on how you view your role in eternity. If she could be muse to the world.